This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Marin had plenty of friends at school, but he lived out in the suburbs, and the neighborhood he lived in rarely had kids his age. When Van first moved in across the street, the two became fast friends. Van was homeschooled by his parents, which Marin thought was kind of weird and lame, but otherwise he was cool as shit. They were the same age, but Van always seemed older and smarter. In a weird way, it was like having the older brother he'd always wanted. They'd spend hours playing games or out exploring, and over time, Marin found himself wanting school to be over just so he could hang out with his real best friend. Yet, as close as they were, it was nearly a year before Marin even became aware of a strange custom Van's family kept to every single day. Marin already knew that Van's grandmother also lived with his family, but she slept most of the time and never left her upstairs bedroom so far as Marin knew. What he came to learn, however, was that every morning and evening, Van had to spend an hour with her. At first, he thought it was just Van's parents wanting him to spend time with his grandmother before she died, but over time, Van said enough that he learned she was always asleep when he was in there, and it wasn't about him sitting in there bored with a sleeping old lady for a couple of hours a day. Van was embarrassed but eventually snuck Marin in during one of his visits with his grandmother. Marin didn't know what to expect, but it wasn't... Van sat in a chair next to her and turned on a tape player that started playing some sad old song. He then picked up a brown spiral notebook and started reading from it. Hello, Granny. My name is... Vanderbilt Amerson, but you and everyone else calls me Van. I don't remember when I was born, but you do. It was a snowy night up in Empire, which is where we all lived back then. You sat with my father in the hospital waiting room, keeping him calm until the doctor came out and said I was born. You were 53 years old then. It was January 3rd of 1972, and what are you doing in here? Van broke off reading as we both turned to stare at his mother. She looked pale and scared as she looked between us, but the color came back as her expression grew angry. Van, you know no one can be in here during this, even your little friend. You go back to reading now. As I started to stand, she grabbed my shoulder firmly and propelled me out the door, closing it behind us. She gave me a forced smile. Sorry, he has to do that alone. It's a private family thing, so please don't mention it to anyone, all right? Marin, I nodded with a frown. Yeah, sure, Miss Emerson. What was all that? Why was he saying he was born so long? She gave my shoulder another firm squeeze. Private, Marin. I know you're his true friend, so I ask you to keep this to yourself, and don't pry any further. Even with him. It's 
very sensitive about it, you understand? I didn't, not really, but I still nodded. Seeming to be satisfied, she let me go and let me down to watch TV until he was finished. Van didn't mention it again when he came down, and I left it alone. We cautiously avoided mentioning it for the next several years, as odd as that might seem from the outside. It was weird, sure, and I was still curious, but I cared about him and his family, and I guess my desire to understand was outweighed by my love and respect for them. When it came up next, we were 15, and Van was kind of the one that brought it up. A bunch of guys from school were going to go camping, and I'd invited Van to go, but he said he couldn't go because they had to redo his grandmother every morning and night. He was mad about it, said how he thought it was stupid, that nothing was going to happen if he missed once or twice, but that his parents wouldn't hear it. When I told him it wasn't a big deal, that I could hang back and we could just camp in the backyard or something instead, he seemed to get angrier, though he was sad now too. No, you can't do that. You're my best friend, man, but you have to live. I don't want you trapped just because I am. I wanted to ask what he meant, but I held back. If he wanted to tell me, he would. Instead, we just played cards for another hour, and then I went home to pack for the camping trip. The trip was fun, but it was all tempered by my guilt at leaving Van behind. It wasn't fair how his family treated him, forcing him to spend so much time with someone who probably didn't even know he was there. And really, what was the big deal if he skipped their dumb ritual once in a while? It was also frustrating, and by the second night as I sat up late poking the campfire, I decided I was going to talk to him about it when we got back the next day. Hey man, what's up? I jumped and gave out a small yell. Looking around, I saw Van at the edge of the campfire, grinning at me. What the hell, man? What are you doing out here? He gave me a small laugh. <laughs> Just coming to hang out. I planned on getting here earlier, but shit, this place is kind of far out, and I had to walk the last part after catching a ride at the gas station. Van glanced around at the campground with its neatly cornered off tents and built-in campfire. Still, you guys aren't exactly roughing it in the deep woods, so it wasn't too hard to find you when I got to the parking lot. I was happy to see him, but I still felt a small worm of worry in my belly. I leaned forward, keeping my voice too low to be heard in the nearby tents. Shit, aren't you going to get in trouble or something? Did you at least do your evening time with your granny? Van's expression darkened as he shook his head. No, fuck that. I'm done with it, and if I'm ever going to convince my parents it's bullshit, now's the time. I didn't read to her tonight, and I won't be there to do it in the morning either. I puffed out a breath. <laughs> okay, well, yeah man, if, if that's what you want. But your mom's gonna shit a duck. He grinned. Hmm, let her. Maybe this will wake her up. I love them, but fuck, man. They are way too uptight about all this. Swallowing, I decided to get it out before I lost my nerve. Yeah, about that. Why do you do it? Or why do they want you reading all that stuff? Is there more than what I saw that one time? Sitting down on a log across the fire, he shook his head slowly, and I felt bad because I could see he was embarrassed. 
I went to take the questions back, but he raised his hand to stop me. No, I'll tell you. If I'm going to tell anybody, it may as well be you. It's weird shit, though. Trying to keep my face neutral, I just nodded and kept quiet as he went on. He sighed. <sighs> to answer your question, yeah, there's tons more of it. 45 pages now, though. It gets longer as I get older. It. He paused, looking across the flames at me. <laughs> Jesus, you're going to think we're all freaks if I tell you. I shook my head. I won't. Don't tell me if you don't want to, but I won't think bad of you or them. You're my best bud. I know you're cool. He grinned at me and shrugged. Eh, fuck it. So, they have me read all this stuff about myself. It's part of what you heard that day when we were younger. It's all this stuff about me being born in 1972 and my grandmother being there and more stuff about me being a baby back then. Which is crazy, because I'd be like 50. Yeah, what are they talking about? Why do they want you to read made-up crap? He smiled awkwardly at me. It gets weirder. Okay, I'll shut up and listen. Well, they had me read to her about being a baby, what I looked like, the time she spent with me, that kind of stuff. And then there's, like, a gap. Until that time, I carried you up to watch. I didn't know why the gap was there. But they sat me down and told me. Anyway, I'll get to that. So, after the gap, it jumps to when I'm a toddler. Things I say and do, trips I took with my granny. Then I'm older, talking about me going to school, her pulling my first baby tooth, and this just goes on and on until I caught up to the age I am reading it. That's why it gets longer over time. I said I'd stay quiet, but this was all so insane I blurted out a question in spite of myself. Why? Van nodded. That's what I've always wondered. I mean, I've done it since I was old enough to read it. When I was real young, Mom would read it, but she made me follow along. I have most of it memorized, but they taught me to always read it just to be safe. Said it needed to be said just right and always the same. But I've always known it was weird. I'm homeschooled, but I didn't think other kids were reading stuff like that to their permanently sleeping... Oh, yeah. That's another thing. She's always asleep. Like, always. I frowned. How does that work? Is she, like, in a coma? He shrugged. I don't know. They don't feed her or give her medicine that I can tell. They just... Well, they change the sheets every two weeks and wipe her off, but... I don't know how she's alive like that, but she is alive. Just... Always asleep. Always dreaming. Dreaming? I can see a shadow of fear on his face now. Yeah. That's what they finally told me, or at least that's part of it. It's going to sound super fucked, so I apologize ahead of time. I gave him a smile I didn't feel. Oh man, go for it. No judgments. Well, my parents told me that I was born in 1972. That them and my grandmother are older than they look. That most people in our family live really long lives, and that's why what happened to me hit them all so hard. 
Okay, what happened to you? I died. They said I died suddenly when I was two years old. I think other kids in our family have died young like that too since, but I was the first. When it happened, my parents and grandmother, they... They kind of went crazy. They, uh... They have a lot of strange beliefs. And they said that they tried different things to bring me back, but nothing worked at first. Bring you back? From being dead? He sighed. I know. But you just have to go with it for now. So, they spent years and years trying, and nothing ever worked. And finally, after over 30 years, my grandmother found a way. My parents call it the Grand Sleep. Basically, they claim she entered this permanent sleep, a magical sleep. And while she's sleeping, she can dream things and make them real. Only one thing at a time, though. And it takes all her focus to keep it going all the time. Okay. That's weird, but okay. So what did she dream of? He looked pale in the orange firelight. Me. According to my parents, like 11 years ago, she went into the grand sleep and after a few months of them talking to her about me every day, I came back. It wasn't exactly the two-year-old dead version of me. I was four now, but as far as they could tell, I was otherwise the same little boy they'd lost. I lasted a week before fizzling out. They freaked out, but they managed to get me back and keep me reciting stuff about me to her twice every day. It wasn't because she didn't want to keep me alive, they said. She loved me very much, too. It was just that even with her knowledge and talents, when you're in the grand sleep, you were in a dream. And in that dream, it was very easy to forget what you were doing or even who you are. And if that happened for too long, the thing you were dreaming into life would disappear. Van gave me a pained smile and shrugged. They... That's why they had me read it to her. Said it works with them. But it's better if the dream talks directly to the dreamer. Makes it easier to remind them of why they're in the sleep and how important it is to keep the dream alive. He gave a shaky laugh and wiped at his eyes. <laughs> Fuck. Told you it was some crazy shit. Felt my jaws tensing with anger. It's fucked up is what it is. It's child abuse. They taught you that you had to read that crap to her or you die? Stop existing? Who who does that to a kid? Marin, they believe it. They really do. They're good parents and they really do love me. They're terrified that if I don't... The sound of him died at the same moment that Van disappeared as though a shadow had fallen upon him and devoured him whole. Van? Oh, God, Van! I looked for him, but of course he wasn't there. Once I accepted that, I woke my other friends, not to tell them Van had been erased in front of me, but lying that I was sick and needed to go home right away. It was three in the morning when I got into the neighborhood, but I turned to go to Van's house instead of my own. 
saw his mother waiting at the open door. I started crying. I am... I'm sorry. I didn't know. She stepped aside to let me in. Looking at her, I could see she'd been crying too. Of course you didn't. How could you have? She leaned over and gave me a brief hug before pulling back to look at me. You were with him when it happened? You saw it? I nodded, sniffling. And he told you of his nature? And why we had him do what he did? Yeah. Tonight. T- tonight he did. He was still telling me when it happened. How, how, how did you know it happened? Her expression was stricken. Because my mother died two hours ago. After so long of sustaining him, they were inextricably bound. She couldn't survive without him any more than he could her. I, but I, I thought we, I thought maybe she could bring him back again. Miss Samerson smiled at me sadly, touching my face gently. I let out a gasp as I felt a sting on the side of my neck. Beside me, Mr. Amerson was pulling back a syringe. Not with her, Marin. But we still have hope in you. I've tried to be a good mother, Marin. I tell myself I have been, but I have no illusions about the fact that all my efforts to protect my son have also limited his life in so many ways. That's why you have been such a blessing to us all. You gave him a life outside his family, a true and good friend in that, in many ways, knows my son better than any of us. That's why it has to be you. Before you were placed into the grand sleep, you shared your memories of Van with your innermost thoughts, and most of it was given willingly. For those things I had to pry free, I... I hope you will forgive me. But I'm writing all of this down. It reassured me that, like us, you truly love Van and want him back, that perhaps you know him better now than even his own mother. So I'll read this to you every day for as long as it takes. The words are correct, and I feel sure that our dedication and desire to have him back will overcome any deficits as a dreamer you have compared to my mother. It just requires willpower and patience, time, and love. And we have all these in spades, don't we? So dream deep, dreamer. Dream well. Dream of your friend, our baby. Think only of that, and one day, it will be him reading you these words. There are probably... A hundred different stories I could tell you about crazy shit I've seen fighting fires. You might have heard it before, but when you're in the thick of it, with that fire almost laughing in your face as you try to beat it back, I swear to God it's like a living thing. I've been doing this for the better part of ten years, but there's nothing that haunts me more than what I witnessed in that late summer of 2018. It was around the middle of August, and this was looking to be about the worst of so many wildfires we'd fought over that year so far. It was part of the National Forest Hotshots, just out of Fresno. 
I mostly work as an EMT these days, but I still do a little volunteer firefighting on the side, as well as giving some training classes for the new recruits. With my expertise and experience, I couldn't walk away from it entirely, even if this experience damn near caused me to abandon the job completely. I've been four stories up into the guts of a building, crumbling apart beneath my feet, and even helped a kid climb to freedom from a well, as cliche as that is. Curiosity does get the better of many children out there, as well as plenty of adults who should damn well know better by this point in their lives. I can't say that I, or anyone else I know on the job, has ever had to fish a cat out of a tree before, but that ain't saying it doesn't happen, of course. Still, no matter what I've seen over the decade I've been doing this, there's nothing that compares it to this one. Not for me, anyway. It was early afternoon when we were making our way to the scene. Fifteen of us in all. We were heading to meet up with the crew who had been out there since the previous night, hoping to relieve them while staying ahead of the blaze. As we wandered on, discussing the finer points of digging ditches and cutting the wild brush and the like, we heard some panic-sounding voice on the radio. Be it from the fire itself, the weather conditions, or how deep into the woods we were, we could barely make out a word of what was being said, but it wasn't hard to tell that they were pretty freaked out. Elizabeth Parker... Liz, Lizzie, or simply Parker to us, who was one of our new recruits, tried to place a call on her cell to figure out what was going on. When the thick plumes of smoke began to drift through the trees around us, we didn't need clarification to know what was going on. From what I could figure, and according to the facts I'd heard sometimes long before the sun went down, the fire had dramatically shifted direction heading right at us. That time of day is the most dangerous for a wildfire, when the sun is hot, humidity is low, and the winds are high, making things more than unpredictable. You ain't always going to be able to outsmart a fire, the chief used to say, back when I was green as a cucumber and he wasn't wrong. As soon as that thick cloud came rolling in, I took a head count. I came up three short, ultimately noticing that Parker, Gray, and Jackson were unaccounted for. They were all fairly new to the team, so I had to assume that they just panicked and fled, but I didn't have time to go hunt them down. We weren't going to outrun this son of a bitch, and we didn't have a snowball's chance of beating it back, so we had only one option left. Deploy our fire shelters right here and now. They didn't seem like much. Being made of an outer layer of aluminum foil, backed by silica weave that reflects heat, but they could be effective in a pinch, and boy were we in a damn pinch. I tried to keep the trembling in my voice hidden as possible while I gave a quick run over the procedures every one of us should know by now. Unzip the carrying case, pull out the shelter, and shake it open. Step into it, pull it over your head, and lie down with your face close to the ground where the air is the cleanest and the coolest. Use your elbows, knees, and feet to pin the shelter down to counteract winds created by the fire, which could potentially reach 60 miles an hour. Maybe I was reciting these instructions to combat my own fear at the time, but it seemed to help calm some of the crew as well. Or so it looked to me, anyway. The air was already thick by the time we all dropped to the ground, huddled up like veritable subdivision of reflective igloos. If I had to describe it, which, given I've chosen to write about this, I suppose I do, 
I would imagine that sensation to feel similar to what a frozen dinner goes through over those first 30 seconds or so in the microwave. I could feel the almost intolerable heat sweep over me, accompanied by the sounds of debris falling from the trees while they showered over us. Though it only lasted minutes, it felt like I was cooped up in that glorified aluminum foil for hours, feeling my skin inflamed from the blades and bruised from the debris. Along with the whooshing sounds the fire engulfed us, I heard the screams of some of the crew. A couple of shouted that they couldn't take it anymore, inspiring me to practically bark my demands that they do not leave their shelters under any circumstances, knowing full well that if any should break free from their cocoons, their lungs would immediately fill with the burning smoke, quickly putting their lives to a swift and painful end. I could only hope that they could hang in there. When the raging inferno finally passed by, I hesitantly pulled my shelter away, scattering soot and chunks of charred wood to the blackened forest floor. Being certain that this was likely only the first wave we had survived, we quickly went to work, snuffing out the patch of fires we could while attempting to move further away before the next one hit. These shelters could sustain a lot, but I didn't want to put them any further to the test if we could avoid it, not to mention that I still hoped to be able to locate our missing crew. They panicked, something any of us else could have been capable of, but I prayed to everything I held holy that they'd remembered their training and deployed their shelters before it was too late. As we attempted to stay close together while making our way further out, blackened and dead trees shed limbs and splinters of wood around us, causing us to get more and more separated. I called out to those I hoped not to lose track to be sure to shelter up before that next wave could move in, though I only heard scattered replies. Within mere moments, I could feel the warm smoke approaching from my rear, while darting my eyes around in desperation to make another head count. Somehow, whether I'd taken the wrong path or the others had, I found myself alone. The area I was currently running through had miraculously been untouched by that first wave, but I continued shouting out to anyone who may hear me. When only that familiar distant whooshing granted me a reply, I hoped that the crew had found a good place to deploy before it got to us. I allowed myself a single glance to my back, seeing the orange glow of the approaching wave a ways off. I knew I had to deploy my shelter soon, but when I noticed a lone cabin some yards ahead of me, I felt panic beginning to set in. I pulled the water from my pack, lifting my mask and attempting to clear my throat enough to call to the small wooden cottage while pounding on the door to see if anyone lingered within. For seconds, which felt like hours, I heard nothing but the approaching blaze. I gave a heavy sigh, hoping that the cabin was indeed vacant, deciding I needed to move on and find a good place to deploy. When I made my way around the side of the building, a blood-curdling scream from somewhere within caused just about every drop of blood in my face to sink to my churning stomach. With that aggravated orange glow from behind growing closer by the second, I had no time to waste, but I couldn't allow anyone trapped inside to be consumed by the inferno. This being far from the first time I've had to take down a door, I made quick work of it, only using two quick swings of my axe to break through. My mask was foggy between the heat causing me to sweat a veritable river and the smoke already filling the room, but I could tell the screams were coming from below. When I located the door to an apparent basement, I had to break that one down too, as it was held shut with even more locks than the one that led into the house. 
I could barely fathom why anyone would be concealed in such a manner, but I didn't need to waste any energy focusing on the great many questions that were building up. I finally broke through that door, hearing the shrill screams far louder than before. Between my racing heartbeat and foggy mask, I damn near tripped down the steep stairs in my haste. When I reached the bottom floor, I could barely believe my eyes when I looked upon the source of the horrifying yells that led me into that old cabin. It took me a moment to recognize her given the state she was in, but Parker had been stripped naked, strapped to a chair with leather belts around her arms, legs, and torso. I couldn't imagine what sort of person could have carved the intricate symbols and runes into just about every inch of her flesh I could make out, but it was the blood that spewed from her wrist that had my more immediate concern. The gashes looked fresh, but I knew how quickly every last drop of lifeblood could leak from such wounds. I cut the straps to her arms first as they allowed me the freedom to work on ceasing the blood flowing from her wrist. She was covered in blood from head to toe, clearly in shock and weakening more by the second. Not only that, but the whooshing sound from beyond the walls was drawing closer with every moment I spent getting her loose. It wasn't until I was cutting the straps around her shins that I noticed the grooves in the floor to which the blood from her torn wrists was leaking. Though I knew I had to get us out of here, I couldn't help but trace my eyes across the ground following where those twin grooves led to a five-pointed star in the center of the room could be nothing more than that orange glow from the slender windows near the ceiling that made that pentagram look as though it was almost shimmering with its own light, but when Parker barked my name, pulling my attention back to the situation at hand, I had to push my curiosity to the side. It didn't take me much longer to get that last strap around her midsection cut, but time was not something we had the luxury of. When I noticed Liz's discarded clothing and gear near the back wall, we both worked quickly to get her in fit condition to get out of there. She was still in something of a shocked and frenzied mental state, but her instincts were still intact. Even if it was the panic that caused her to run before, I had to give it to her on this one. Most other people may be damn near catatonic if they'd endured what she'd been through, but not Elizabeth Parker. If we'd survived this, I sure hope she would be able to give me some answers to who did this to her, but... Those would have to wait. The exterior walls were already smoking when we reached the ground floor, with the inferno raging right outside the splayed open front door. We quickly headed to the back, both of us thankful to see the situation not quite as dire to the rear of the building, but we knew that wouldn't last. Though she was weak from blood loss, she still moved almost as quickly as she could with a full tank. We busted through that door and gunned it as quickly as we could. I could tell my oxygen was starting to run low, but with the flames right at our asses, that was the least of my concerns. As soon as we saw the riverbank, Liz was already pulling out her shelter, reminding me to do the same. While hers was fresh, mine had already endured that first wave, but I hoped I could handle another one. Even if I was halfway tempted to just leap into the water, I followed the book and planted my face back to the ground in the hopeful safety of my best impersonation of a TV dinner. Our screams blended into one as the fire embraced our flimsy tombs while a distant explosion assured me that the cabin likely held some flammables within. I didn't doubt that the small cottage wouldn't survive this, but I'd hoped enough would remain to potentially yield some evidence. Perhaps my mind was simply 
looking for distractions while my skin began to feel as though it was cooking. Harker still shrieked from beside me, but I could only imagine how badly those fresh wounds covering her slender body were burning at that point. Other than the glorified sunburn I'd received from that first wave, I was mostly in one piece, while my crewmate was beaten bloody and bordering on bloodless at the time. Still, given what we'd endured already, I was truly not expecting us to survive this. Not with how bad it had gotten by the time we escaped that cabin. When a hauntingly deep scream yelled out from somewhere off in the distance, I damn near shit my pants. Something about that horrendous wail sounded both agonized and furious. At first I thought my shelter was failing, and the sound was caused by my eardrums melting away. Another thought that crossed my mind, after assuring myself I wasn't a Thanksgiving turkey just yet, was that the fire itself screamed out in anger while we held it back with our protective cocoons. Perhaps it had its fill of wood and stone, and our keeping ourselves concealed was denying it the meat it desired. Irrational? <laughs> Maybe so. But I wasn't feeling particularly rational at the time. Even when the angered whooshing surrounding me, as well as the splitting and cracking of the trees spilling more debris across my fragile shell, I became aware of one more sound that threatened to cause my bladder to give out. Being fully aware of the inferno Raging outside my flimsy shelter, I was certain the footsteps I heard approaching couldn't belong to anything living. With my heart racing so erratically, I tried to convince myself that it was nothing more than my frenzied pulse beating against the inner wall of my ears, but that didn't explain how it was drawing closer by the second. As I felt my shelter wrinkle, as though fingers were wrapping around it from the outside, I had no doubt I was failing, and the burning hot fumes would reach my lungs soon. I screamed out harder than I ever have before, even more so when Parker let out another shrill squeal from beside me. Part of me wanted to break free of my confinement, in hopes of saving her before the flames consumed me, but I knew there was nothing I could do. Not with how hopeless the situation was looking for the both of us. I was barely aware of the sounds of the scooper above, nor the approaching ground crew, but when that first blast of water rained down across me, I can't even describe the sensation in a way that would do it any justice. Everything faded into a blur as voices called out from around me while I hesitantly pulled myself free of my shelter. Just about everything I looked upon was blackened and charred, but the faces, both familiar and unfamiliar around me, were one hell of a sight for my reddened and swollen eyes. Though I was still mentally out of it, I managed to get the attention of some of the others on the scene to get Parker some help. By the time I saw the other boys get her to safety, the fire had almost been beaten into submission. I stayed with Liz on the ride to the hospital with the recommendation that I get checked out as well, as I had sustained some pretty decent burns over the last hour or so. In all honesty, I can barely believe that all of it occurred over such a short period, but that's the nature of trauma, I suppose. Over the following days, when Parker was up to it, we both had questions to answer. I couldn't tell them much, given that it was a combination of luck and the fire that led me to the cabin in the middle of nowhere, and unfortunately, 
Parker couldn't offer much either. According to what she could recall, as I had suspected, she took off running the second she saw Gray and Jackson attempting to escape the approaching blaze. Whether she thought they knew something she didn't, or it was simply her panic that inspired her to follow them, she couldn't say, but it wasn't something she was proud of, regardless of the circumstances. Tough as nails, Parker was, but any of us can lose it when faced with such things, so nobody looked at her any differently for that. Apparently, while running as quickly as she could, something either hit or shocked her. Whatever it was, it knocked her out cold. When she awoke, she was exactly where I found her, with no memory of who had carved the numerous wounds into her flesh. Gray and Jackson were located not far from the cabin, maybe twenty yards to the west of it. Given the fact that they were consumed by the fire, it was assumed they had simply failed to deploy in time. When the pathologist found some trauma to the back of their heads that was not caused by the blaze, it would be taken for granted that whoever attacked Parker likely took them out of the equation as well. I can happily report that the rest of my crew made it through that wildfire with nothing more than some similar injuries to those I suffered. Second degree burns, some bumps, bruises, scrapes, and such. There were others out there that day who left those woods in much worse shape than us, but things could have been a lot worse, all things considered. I spent a lot of time at the hospital over the next few months, giving support to Parker while she endured several painful procedures. To this day, there's still some residual scarring given how deeply those symbols were carved into her, but we never found out what any of them represented. She and I both researched all sorts of foreign and even ancient dialects, but haven't turned up anything like those she still sees in the mirror. Be it from the extreme circumstances we endured that day or the subsequent months of sharing each other's company, we grew close over that time. Coming up on our second anniversary, so something she makes sure I don't forget. Even though she took my last name, I still call her Parker. Just feels strange to call her anything else, even after everything. We moved out to a smaller town a couple of years back. She's still on the job while I've taken a bit of a backseat to most of the action these days. I still get into the thick of it at times. Plus, some of the things I've seen as an EMT are almost as crazy as what brought my wife and me together. Those are stories for another time, though. We never got answers as to who abducted Parker in the middle of that wildfire, but I can't help but wonder sometimes if the fire somehow guided me to her. It's crazy, I know, but after so many years fighting against that monster, perhaps we'd grown to respect one another to a certain extent. I still think about it often. Everything we endured that day. Maybe that's why I've invented such creative explanations for how things went. Even though we survived that wildfire, against all odds, I wake up in a cold sweat at times after hearing those footsteps drawing closer in my dreams. Those are the sounds that stick with me, far more so than the whooshing of the inferno behind us. Whether they were a product of my mind in a literally heated situation, I suppose I'll never know, but I still wonder sometimes. If the fire did indeed lead me to the cabin that day, could it be that it also feared what was responsible for what happened to Parker? It has been said, after all. 
that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. I know I did. I thought they were both really interesting. I think I enjoyed the second one a little bit more, just because it it was kind of... Hmm, what's the best way to put it? It was kind of open-ended in a way, you know? It never explicitly said if those footsteps that the dude heard in the story were real, if they were a figment of his imagination, whatever. never really explained what the hell was going on in that cabin. Really, really fun and interesting story, I think. They were both really good. I think I just enjoyed the second one a little bit more. Let me know what you thought down in the comment section below. While you're down there, be sure to drop a like on the video. And if you're feeling generous, be sure to share this video with someone that you think would enjoy a good, scary story. It really, really would help out the channel, and I would greatly appreciate it. While you're down there doing all that, I'm going to take a second to thank all of the $5 patrons and members for their constant and amazing support. Thank you to Absent Alice, Amethyst, Amet, Anne Berry, Bubbly Panda, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, Ellis G, Frankie Brockway, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt Flat Out, Jennifer Dameron, Jesse Jess Jess, Justinia Zaromsky, Karen Parrott, Kat, Kathy Fanning, Laura, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Moon Potato, Nicholas Moore, Nora Nova Nocturne, Patricia Rodea, PJ Masks, Ray Clegg, Sentinel, The New On Gelm 24, Tiger Princess, Tish Love, Triumph, and Victoria Step. Thank you again all for listening, subscribing, liking, sharing the video, and thank you to everyone for your continued support. I really, really appreciate it. If you want a shout out at the end of a video, head over to Patreon, become a $5 patron, get videos a day early, get a shout out, or you can become a member here on YouTube for the same price and get the same thing. Sounds like something you want to do to support the channel. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks again, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are. And as always, take care of yourselves and everyone around you.